Thank you, Mike. Okay, so today we are in John's Gospel on page 769. Now we're starting, we're in chapter 20, starting at verse 19, and we're finishing with, um, I think Barb said, the mind-blowing verse number 31, which we practised before. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you... Forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. One week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. Jesus did many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Good morning. My name's Stephen, uh, one of the ministers here, and I thought I'd start by telling you about a friend of mine called Rowan. Rowan's one of these guys who's amazing at getting a deal, you know, like they go to shops and they just naturally get a bargain. He's, he's got nerves of steel. Um, he's not afraid to ask awkward questions. He's confident. He seems to know just what to say and when, and he does it with a smile on his face at the same time. Now, for some reason, Rowan has sort of made it his, um, his mission in life to teach me his techniques. Like one time we were going shopping for, I don't even remember what it was, but he, he said to me this technique, don't offer a price. Ask them, what's the lowest that they'll go? And then offer them lower than that. Now, as you can imagine, going shopping with him is embarrassing and, and stressful, actually, But in the end, he walks away paying much less than what I'd pay. And the thing that that gets me is that for some reason, the shopkeepers don't seem to mind. They don't seem to get annoyed at him like I do. They seem to enjoy it, in fact. Now, Rowan is, is one of those people who can speak to other people about difficult things, and he does it in a way that disarms them. And he's not just like that getting a bargain either. He's like that in a lot of life. I was uh, with him once helping out at a church and I went door knocking with him. My style of of door knocking is kind of um, to say hello, have a nice chat for a couple of minutes and then kind of move on and and not really 
I'm not really naturally able to get deep in conversation. But I knew Rowan was different, so I got a bit sick of having sort of superficial conversations, so I went with him. An hour and a half later, we were still at the first door. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to think that talking to people about Jesus should just be left to people like my friend Rowan. Do you ever think like that? You know, if you bring to mind a friend who doesn't know Jesus, what do you think they need? For some friends, we think that what they need is to have just the right person talk to them, who's got all the right answers and says them at all the right times, like Rowan. Or maybe you're thinking of of your friend that, that what they need is to meet a Christian who can show them that it's okay to be a Christian. You know, someone introduce them to a Christian who's smart, funny and good looking and yet takes Jesus seriously. It's tempting, I reckon, to think that the key to people coming to know Jesus is people. But then again, maybe the friend that you've brought to mind, called to mind, is on the other extreme. Maybe you're thinking no person is ever going to get through to them. The only way they're ever going to even think about Jesus is for God to act, to kind of zap them somehow. It'll take a complete miracle. I think when it comes to introducing people to Jesus, what we call evangelism, we often approach it like it's either all up to God or it's all up to me. Do you know what I mean? Like I get, I get the opportunity to speak and I'm thinking, don't stuff it up, Stephen. Be smart, be clever careful, winsome, as if it's all up to me. And then when it doesn't go according to the plan that I had in my head, you know, they didn't follow the script in my scenario, you know, how they missed the bit where they're supposed to say, but tell me again for the reason, for the hope that you profess. (laughs) When I stuff it up, I feel depressed and guilty, like I've failed them and like I've failed God. See, when I'm feeling like that, It shows that what I really believe is that it's all up to me. Or I get an opportunity to speak and I think, it's okay, I'll leave that slide. I'll leave that for God. It'd be awkward, you know, for me to say anything. It might wreck things for the future. I'll just carry on being a nice person and and I'll pray for them. But if they come up to me and say, what must I do to be saved? Then I'll know that God's done his thing. And when I'm thinking like that, it shows that what I really believe is that it's all up to God. When in actual fact, in passages like ours today, what we see is that it is all up to God, but at the same time, it is up to me. Our involvement in evangelism is 100% God's work, and yet at the same time, it's my work. If we get this, not just sort of know it in our heads, but we really get it, really know it, it's actually a huge encouragement. As you step up to speak to someone, you know that it's not just all up to you. It's you and God there in that moment, together, united, working in the same task. And no matter what happens, it's not ineffective. What happens is powerful.
There you go. That's our talk for today. But I'm, I'm hoping that you actually want to hear it from God. So let's look at how God brings it out to us in our passage today. Now, we're not going to look at Thomas much today, even though you, um, we had him in our reading. We heard a bit about him last week. Great passage, but we'll save that for another day. John 20, verse 19. Up on the screen. It's still Easter day in our passage. Now, you remember from last week, Mary's seen Jesus alive. John started to believe it, but he hasn't yet seen him face to face. And that all changes that Easter night. Look at verse 19 with me. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now, just before we go on, do you notice how they're meeting? The doors are locked. They're huddled in a room. They're afraid. After three years of Jesus' ministry on earth, what's the visible, the visible impact of his mission? A small group of confused followers who are trying to figure out what life's going to look like without Jesus. This is the beginning of Christianity, right? It's incredibly fragile. Humanly speaking, this is the end. Once the wake's over, they're all just going to drift home. And the memory of Jesus is going to disappear forever. But as they're starting to think about this, suddenly Jesus shows up. Verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Did you notice the way Jesus shows up? Doesn't bang on the door. He's somehow there among them, even though the doors are locked. And yet he's clearly there as a physical body, able to be touched and still with the wounds. It's worth not letting these details be lost here before we move on, because this is actually a glimpse into our future. If you want to see your future, look at Jesus. This is true for Christians and actually non-Christians as well. If we don't follow Jesus, we can actually see our future when we look at the cross. We'll face God's anger on our own, unshielded. That's the awful reality. But for those who do follow Jesus, we actually see in him both our past and our future. For us, the cross is our past. For us, we've already faced God's anger in Jesus. We'll never face it again. It's, it's what we looked at on Good Friday. It's, it's done. It's finished. We see our future in that as goes he, so go we. As goes he, so go we. See, Jesus is raised and will be raised. For Jesus, it's the same body and ours will be the same too. And yet, notice his body's transformed. Locked doors were no barrier. Death will never touch him again. His body's transformed and ours will be too. Another detail not to be missed, though, is that in Jesus, God has joined himself to the physical for all eternity. Jesus stands there resurrected with a real physical body. 
Think about that. He doesn't consider humanity to be a chain or a limitation. Jesus is not less than God because he's taken on a human body for all eternity. Do you get what this seemingly small detail means? It means that God does not despise the physical. The physical world's not to be rejected. So often religions in this world, even Christians, including some Christians, act like the physical is to be denied for the spiritual. You know, this kind of idea, enjoying food is bad, alcohol is bad, sex is bad. But God doesn't think like that. God doesn't pit the physical against the spiritual. He made this world good. The physical things of this world are not in and of themselves evil. They can be put to evil use, of course, but in and of themselves, they're pure. Sex, alcohol, anything you can think of is in and of itself pure, good. And it's right for us to enjoy them when we enjoy them in the way that God's made them to be enjoyed. Well, a final detail we can't just leave behind is that Jesus is resurrected with scars. Did you notice that? Why? When I'm resurrected, I'm hoping that there'll be certain scars that I just leave behind. Will Jesus have these marks for all eternity? Or were they there just to teach the disciples something? Or did they heal? Now, in some ways we can't know, but I wouldn't be surprised when we meet Jesus face to face, if we don't still see the marks there on his hand. These are his marks of glory. Why would he give them up? See, as we see him and and walk with him, we'll notice the scars and for all eternity we'll be reminded of the extreme depths of God's love for us. All right, it's time for us to leave some of the details and get back to the bigger picture. John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What Jesus says here is massive. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's sending them like the Father sent him to carry on the work the father gave him jesus is saying here that the hope of the world rests on this small huddle of human weakness i mean think about the group peter he's just a lovable fisherman isn't he and and why is it that we love him well it's because he amuses us because he's funny because he he doesn't think before he acts Peter, just a a couple of nights before, swung from swearing that he'd die for Jesus to swearing he never knew him to a little servant girl he was afraid of. He's not really who I'd choose for this job. And then there's the others, all pretty pretty ordinary people, really. I mean, think about John in the Garden of Gethsemane on the most significant night in the history of the world. Where was John? Well, first he was praying and then he was sort of pretending to pray, drifting. And then he just gave up and was sleeping, right? And now Jesus is saying, it's over to them. 
He doesn't give them a task. He gives them his task. For some strange reason, Jesus is pinning the hopes of humanity to this group. Now, this isn't actually anything new that we're seeing here. We saw it back in John 9 when Jesus said the disciples were included in his work, in God's work, of opening the eyes of the blind. In John 17, Jesus prays to God and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus' plan's always been to hand over to this group. But it, it isn't like he raised up an elite group honed their skills over three years, nurtured them till they were awesome. These guys were as weak as ever hiding in that room. As weak as the day Jesus first met them, and probably they felt even weaker. And now Jesus is giving them his mission. It sounds crazy. And it would be, except that his mission is not all that he gives them. Look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Let me just sort of remind us of where we're up to, what Jesus has shown us through John. Jesus, the seed, has fallen to the ground. He's died, right? The seed has germinated. He's alive again. And the moment when the shoot kind of pushes up through the ground and the new humanity begins is when the Holy Spirit is poured out from God and changes everything. But if you know your Bible, then you're probably wondering what's going on here. Because you'll know the Holy Spirit doesn't come to the disciples till after Jesus has returned to the Father. And don't worry, Jesus knows that too. It's okay. That's why he said... Back in John 16, verse 7, unless I go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit comes after Jesus goes. In our passage, what's going on is that Jesus is reassuring, he's teaching this small group just how it is that they're going to be able to inherit his mission to the world. Yes, they're doing God's work on Jesus' behalf, but they do it enabled by the Holy Spirit. In both Greek and Hebrew, the word for spirit is the word for breath or wind. In Genesis 2, God breathes life into Adam. Here, Jesus is pointing to this weak bunch being recreated. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no life. There's no connection to all that Jesus has done. There'll only ever be fear and weakness. But Jesus equips his people for the task. They're not doing this work in in their own strength. They're working and the Holy Spirit is working alongside them. And in verse 23, we see the work that they're called to. Jesus says, If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like Jesus is calling them to kind of be Catholic priests doing confession or something like that? 
It sounds weird to us, I reckon, because we know no one can forgive sins but God alone. But they suddenly have the power to forgive sins, do they? Or to withhold forgiveness? Well, the answer is yes. But it's only as they bring God's word to people. It's only as they speak of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's as they speak the gospel message that they forgive sins or hold people to their sins. And we've inherited this work from the apostles. We're sent into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to declare this same message. But you might be thinking, hang on a minute, we're not apostles. Does this really apply to us? And that's a great thought to have. In fact, that's a critical thought to have because it's dangerous to automatically read yourself into the Bible. And us Christians are terrible at doing that. It's always good to stop and go, is it right for me to be identifying with the people I'm reading here? We're not apostles, it's true. But this mission here does apply to us. Back in chapter 17, Jesus, after praying for the apostles, prays for the world and that's us and he prays that the world might come to know the father through the apostles message and that the world might play their part in making the father known united in that task now we don't do it exactly the same way as the apostles we don't say we have seen the lord we point people to jesus by pointing them to the apostles message about about him written down in scripture but like the apostles we share in jesus work and we do it in the power of the holy spirit we've been doing it this easter just gone by we've been saying that whoever turns to jesus has their sins forgiven and we've been saying that whoever refuses to turn to jesus holds on to their sins unforgiven That's a tremendously powerful message. It's powerful if it's believed. And it's powerful if it's rejected. People's eternal fates are involved in this. It's a serious thing that we're engaged with, isn't it? But it's God and us together. Now, like I said before, when we tend to think of evangelism, we tend to think of it like you can see up on the screen, either like it's, it's all God or we tend to think that it's, it's all our work. But as we've seen, Jesus says, it's God and us working together. Now, obviously, we're not equal partners, but we are partners. So I start to speak to someone and I'm not alone. God's there in the thick of it with me. Do you see the implications of all of this that we've been looking at? What God wants for this world right now is for people to hear about Jesus. It's worth asking, as God's people, do we share his heart's desire? Now, I'm not asking you with that question if you love the thrill of evangelistic conversation, like my friend Rowan. Not all of us love that. And those who do love it have got to ask themselves a different question. Do they share God's desire for the world or or do they just love that confrontational style? 
Jesus loves seeing people respond to his lordship and salvation. Do we love it? It means we'll be personally involved in it. It doesn't mean we'll all be involved in the same way. There's not one size fits all. Now some of us are great and gentle debaters. Like a student I I knew who was quiet as anything. And yet he'd sit and talk for ages with people about Jesus. Some of us are great inviters. Again, like a guy I knew, he, he, was, a, he was an odd guy, really strange to talk to. But every week he would have two or three people with him along at church. Unbelievable. Some of us are, are great prayers. You know, you meet people and they tell you they've been praying for someone for a decade and they've they finally come along with them to something. Some are great givers of books, like a guy I knew who always, always had something ready to give someone. I don't know where he pulled it from, but there it was. Some speak lots of words. Some people's actions mean that the few words that they do speak sink down deep. But all of us are called and all of us are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be sent with Jesus' mission. Doesn't that give you confidence? We expect a powerful outcome and it'll be there. Sometimes it's for forgiveness and sometimes it's for holding people to their rejection of God. But it's always powerful. I think as we start to come to our end that it's just worth realising the reality is our default is either going to be thinking it's all up to me or it's all up to God. And we, we actually tend to jump between one or the other. Let's not do that. Let's not go with our default way of thinking. Let's remind ourselves it's all up to God and he does it through us. It's you and him working together. If we realise that it's God and us together, what that means in practice is that we won't be as worried as we, as we go to speak to someone about Jesus. You know, we'll see half an opportunity and we'll go for it. Why? Well, because we know we're doing God's work. And we know as we, we step into the front line, he's stepping into the front line there with us. If we realise that it's God and us together, it means in practice we won't be as worried as we speak to someone. We'll just speak about what Jesus has done. Because we know that God's there working with us it's not about how powerfully i argue how funny or or nice i am we know that what's powerful is the message and the holy spirit if we realize that it's god and us together i think it means in practice that we won't be as worried afterwards we won't feel guilt and regret because we know we're just human and the power lies in the holy spirit and the message And so we know that God will work powerfully either to bring people to forgiveness or to hold them to account. Think about that small room back then where the apostles and disciples were gathered. A room of weak men and women that was transformed. They went from hiding behind locked doors to standing before Jesus' killers and telling them that they'd crucified God's chosen king. They went to denying Jesus before a little servant girl 
to proclaiming Jesus to the very leaders who orchestrated Jesus' murder and boldly proclaiming Jesus? What was it that transformed them? They saw Jesus resurrected and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Like them, we share in God's work. And like them, we're just ordinary, weak people. But God works alongside us by his Holy Spirit. It's God and us in it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes by your Holy Spirit working in us to see just what a privilege it is that we have here to be involved in your work as weak and as, as, as frail as we sometimes see ourselves and we are. Lord, you've chosen us to continue on Jesus' mission to reach this world and you haven't left us alone. You're here with us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to see the significance of this, the practical difference that it makes to know that when we're speaking to people about you, we're not on our own. You're with us and you're working powerfully, Lord, whether it's to bring people to you or whether it's to confirm their unbelief. Lord, fill our hearts with compassion for people with love for you so that we would be driven to be involved in in your mission to the world and we ask that you would use us powerfully by the holy spirit to see people come to know you worship you and turn to you and proclaim that you are their lord and god we pray this in jesus name amen